I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We're in day four of the crime special session, and uh, one of the state representatives that is handling a number of bills on behalf of the administration joins us, a good friend, Debbie Villio, Louisiana State Representative. Debbie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Noel. Good afternoon. So, Debbie, a lot of conversation about the uh, uh, elimination, or not elimination, but the uh, retreat uh, from the amount of good time that can be earned by uh, those that are incarcerated in DOC. Tell us about you know the motivation behind the bill and what it is that the administration is trying to accomplish. Sure, Neil. Thank you so much. Um, you know what? What I've looked at, Noel, honestly, and this is the governor's package. But anybody who's listened to me from the start of when I was elected and, and took the well from the start is is about uh, truth and sentencing. And and what we've found is that certainty in sentencing is what really matters in terms of an effective deterrent. It's it's not about the length of a sentence. Um, and it's about the high indeterminacy of sentencing here in Louisiana. Um, and so that's really what this, what this is about. People think that we're just trying to give longer sentences and ramp up the prison population. Um, but, you know, the relationship between sentence length and time served is not linear. Um, it's a function of that degree of determinacy. And um, so this we believe and, and what happens and, and that high indeterminacy is all those back-end factors that we have in Louisiana and the back-end factors being the good time and, and the different sets of good time and, and, and then parole. Quite frankly, um, I have 18-page sheet checklists that DOC really has to go through and determining what somebody's release date is. And the state has ended up spending millions, I think possibly billions, in, in, in settlements. So if the state can't determine a release date, how are victims supposed to know the release date? How are, how's the public supposed to know the release date? So that's really what it's aimed at. So when we when we say, though, that we're going to have a system that we're going to serve, a, uh, I guess, a minimum of 85% of a sentence in, in order to determine uh-huh. that, we know uh, from previous experience that the jail population or the prison population will increase as more and more individuals get um, convicted for DOC time. Oh, are we prepared? I'm sorry. I disagree with that, but go ahead and ask your question. No, I, well, it's, if you disagree, it's, again, it's, then... it's about it's a yeah, it's it's, it's about certainty, you know, and, and what I've filed for the regular session and it's already published. 
um, is is a resolution, and it's a resolution directing the Department of Corrections um, to conduct a, a, a training piece on the the new sentencing structure, and then urging and requesting the Supreme Court and the Judicial College to train the judiciary on this. Um, generally speaking, courts determine sentence length according to an expectation of how long they think someone may serve. That's the whole point. And, and for example, under our current system, a judge that wants an offender to serve two years has to impose an eight-year sentence for some crimes. Um, and so we want to make sure the judiciary knows um, how this new system works so that there is certainty in sentencing. Um, and, and that's my whole point. Of we don't believe that it is necessarily going to ramp up the prison population. So then describe for me then how is it that we make the statement that people are going to be safer if we are going to train judges to moderate the length of sentencing uh, to get to where we were before, whether or not there was a, you know, you serving 35% of your sentence or 85% of your sentence, uh, then how, how does it work that we're going to be safer? Well, I guess to me the the easy answer to that, and it gets back to studies will show that the both the swiftness of punishment and the certainty of that punishment is the most effective deterrent. That's just quite simple to me, Newell. And and it's it, the fact is that in Louisiana um, there is no certainty um, of of punishment at all. And, and and that's the whole problem. And and so in, if studies, you know, I, I hear from the opponents constantly about studies and data. They never bring anything, but nobody wants to listen when I say studies and data. And, and, and the studies show that the problem and, and the, the, the lack of deterrent is when there is a high indeterminacy of sentencing. I didn't make that up. Um, I didn't pull that out of thin air. I don't profess to be an expert on all matters. That's just a fact that, that that certainty is what is critical in being a deterrent. And, and by moving to this system, that's the certainty with this. So that, that's, it. that's the answer I would give you in terms of public safety. Yeah, I, I don't know that I, I necessarily agree with with the certainty argument. I mean, I do with the swiftness because we have a, we have a limited asset. Uh, the more throughput that we can have, and you and I used to work together on this, you know, in Jefferson Parish in in your previous life. Um, you know, because when I when I look at clearance rates, for example. Um, in cities 250,000 or more, in, in counties 250,000 or more, violent crime clearance rates are at 27%. Uh, and it, it seemed to me that if we really wanted to impact and affect um, safety in our communities, that we would have a much stronger focus on the tools necessary for law enforcement to, to be able to increase um, that. Uh, one example would be the expansion of a DNA lab, uh, which would be huge from an evidentiary standpoint. Absolutely. I mean, you're a former prosecutor. Our prosecutorial sure. success rate in some parishes as opposed to others is abysmal. Um, and, you know, we just we're just not getting the, the numbers and, and the throughput. 
But it, it so one of the things the governor said is that uh, he hopes that um, that good time will be earned through the uh, the achievement, uh, uh, sure. achieving a GED, achieving a job skill, achieving sure. you know sure. relative to some counseling. Um, none of that is in this special session. How how confident no, are you? No, that's really not. That's that's really. I don't the, believe that's correct. No. Um, if if you look at my bill, um, my bill is very um, clear because I insisted, you know, people, you know, want to talk about puppets and all of that. Let me tell you something. I insisted on my bill that there is a component where you get 15 percent for good time. If you just want to be in prison and exist peacefully, you're going to. And that's important. Good behavior is important. You know that um, right. you get 15 percent. But right. if you want to rehabilitate yourself, you can shave off more time by sure. participating in the rehabilitative programs. Um, right. So that that's important, I, and that was important to me, and that is absolutely included in the bill. Well, I think you misunderstood where I was going. Oh, what I'm I was sorry. What, sorry. what I was what I was going to say is is that I, I I agree with the governor in that statement uh, that that okay. there should be. Uh, you know, some achievements that, that are to be made. Sure. What I don't see sure. and what I know to be the case is that the infrastructure in place right now in DOC, that the inmates that are in sheriff's jails don't receive mm-hmm. any, any of mm-hmm. this stuff, and that a good percentage of those that do want to engage in some of this in DOC, that the capacity of the programs are not large enough in order to accomplish same. It's kind of the same comments that he made in his address to the legislature about drug treatment. This I know that you know plenty about because you and I worked together on it. I mean, you know, when I left as sheriff, we were making 2,900 felony drug cases a year. We, we had a drug treatment court capacity of about less than 200. Um, it's easy to talk about it, but it's hard to fund it. And I'm just curious as what the willingness of, of the legislature is going to be to fund the expansion of these programs in a regular session. And, and it's February. Where is today? I'm losing traffic on February 21st. Um, 22nd. 22nd. Sorry. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, one day, one day it's, less it's, in your special back. session. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm losing track, um, but but we are doing everything we can. I can I can tell you, it's like anything else, um, where it's a priority, we will find a way to fund it, and I mean that sincerely. And we talked about that this morning. Um, it's funny that you brought that up. Um, you're absolutely correct. There are not enough. There are some of the parish jails that house DOC prisoners that have some programming, but we don't have enough um, in our jails enough of the programming. In fact, that had everything to do with my bill last session that got passed and ultimately signed by the governor. Um, he had vetoed it, Governor John Bell Edwards had vetoed it the year before, and that was with um, nonviolent felony offenders who had four or more felony convictions. Um, and what happened last year is it was a team effort, and we funded a program, and, and, and we had everybody lockstep um, to show the governor, listen, this isn't about just locking up people for more time. This is about locking them up 
and giving them the the access to the program they need to hopefully keep them from recidivating and coming back the fifth, sixth, or seventh time. And that step program was put in place about a month after Governor John Bell Edwards um, signed the bill um, into law. And and so you're absolutely right. We need to fund the programming um, that that makes the difference in the lives because most of these prisoners are going to come back into our communities. And and the only way we talk about enhancing public safety, and we need to enhance public safety, but we also have to facilitate reentry success. Um, and and that's certainly what you're getting to. And I believe that there is the will. I believe that that is a priority of this administration. It is certainly a priority of mine. And and that's what we are going to be fighting for. And I, I guess we will tell in in the next session, one way or the other, uh, whether or not that, that happens. Let us pivot sure. to parole. There's been some folks that have been critical of... Yeah. You know, sure. saying that uh, unanimity of the parole board is not fair. I'm not one of those. If it takes a unanimous verdict to put somebody in jail, I'm, I'm not exactly clear why it wouldn't take a unanimous vote of the parole board to get someone out of jail. Um, but uh, a okay. lot of folks are not a lot of folks are not really uh, kind of aware of how the parole board works and how appointees are made to the parole board. Is that something that you're in a position to explain? Well, I mean, that is not my bill. I'm not carrying that. If I remember correctly, I think that is Senator Patrick McMath that's carrying it. Um, Mm -hmm. I believe currently the board make it, I believe that appointment by the governor. Um, And I believe the board make up right now, it maybe takes three of four for parole, and, and I'm not certain on that. I can tell you last year um, I was of the mind to bring a bill that required a unanimous vote of the board, um, but it was a fiscal session, and we were limited to five bills. Um, and it's, the reason I was going to bring it is the same reason you brought it up, just brought up. Um, if we're going to require unanimous verdict, and I, I'm not saying I have a problem with that, um, it doesn't seem unreasonable to me to require unanimity on on the parole board. Um, but, yeah, that, that's not my bill. It hasn't crossed over to the House yet. Uh, but I believe that those are governor's appointments, or at least um, the majority are governor's appointments, I believe, and, and potentially with the ratification of the Senate. So I would be lying. I, I'm, I'm not that. And my and my apologies, I confused your House Bill 11 with another bill because I know that you have one. House Bill 11 does uh, address a number of the provisions. Yeah, House Bill 9, I believe, um, essentially abolishes discretionary parole. Um, And so that's a big one. That's okay. I believe that's the headlines that made today. Uh, was probably that bill that um, it it abolishes discretionary parole, and that may be the one you were thinking of. Right. Um, as, as it relates to probation, and I know that you and, mm-hmm. uh, are, have, um, you know, sanctions for violation of probation and parole conditions in, in House Bill 11, mm-hmm. 
Uh, Is there a thought process, I mean, you know this as well as I, because we used to discuss this all the time as well, that the caseload of uh, probation um, and parole is so out of whack to the national average. Is there a thought process of how we can expand uh, that? Because that's something I think that is uh, really is a public safety issue in many respects. Yeah, um, my understanding is, and again, you know, when we talk about justice reform initiative, um, like anything, there are things that that worked and there are things that that, that didn't, in my opinion. Um, One of the things that, um, from a metric standpoint, that worked was the lowering of of the cases of the probation officers, which is really important in order that the probation officers can better monitor those under their supervision from a public safety standpoint. Um, The realities of what happened is while we lowered their caseloads, they were just reassigned um, to other duties, Um, and, and that really wasn't the intent either. Um, so, in my opinion, there has to be a focus on, um, you know, the probation officers and, and, and whatever we have to do funding-wise and, and, quite frankly, recruitment-wise um, in, in order to ensure um, that we have the, the right number and they have the right caseloads. Because you're absolutely right from a public safety standpoint, that has to be something that is front and center. Yeah. Do you understand? Do do are, are you, do you appreciate sometimes? Uh, I guess some folks, and I get calls in here all the time, and and, and myself included, a, a look, kind of a level of cynicism or skeptic. I should say skepticism, um, as it relates to this funding issue, in light of the governor asking the department heads to find places to save dollars because we are going to be in you know, facing a functional fiscal cliff here in the not-too-distant future, according to him. And and there's big concerns about whether or not we're going to continue on with the uh, uh, state sales tax um, and not repeal that as as has been promised. And as I look at at kind of the tick sheet uh, on on the back of a, a napkin assessment, you know, calculation, it's hard to believe that we're going to be able to fund a lot of these things. And there are folks that yeah, are I, a I get, skeptical get, about that. Sure, I get the skepticism. Um, but what I would tell you is in order for this state to grow um, economically, um, and it, we have to address the crime first. Um, oh, no doubt. You know, you know me. No, you know me. Um, I ran for one reason, and, and I'm, I'm doing exactly what I came here to do. And, and my platform was always public safety and support of law enforcement and, and support of victims. And um, so in my opinion, our money has to be spent there first. It has to be the priority um, in order that we can grow as a state. I mean, I, I say it, but it seems to just be, I don't know if it's lost on everyone or they just like just ignore it. It goes in one ear and out the other. But the fact that Louisiana is number one in homicides for the 35th year in a row, I want to tell you, I, I don't know why that doesn't shock people more, uh, because it's pretty hard to stay number one in anything, good or bad, for 35 years straight. Yeah, um, I, I don't disagree with you. We're in the country in violent crime. So it has to be, we have to find the funds 
um, to be able to, to fund the criminal justice system. No one measures the cost of the revolving door to local police, sheriffs, and district attorneys in our district courts. You know, when, when we talk about JRI, it wasn't a savings of tax dollars. Nobody saved the taxpayers' dollars. Those dollars just went to somewhere else. And in some programs, the performance wasn't even measured to know what programs are really working well and which are which are saving, which are serving the most number of people and where we're getting the most bang for the buck. Um, our insurance costs for vehicles stolen, carjacked, the home burglaries, not to mention the loss of life and, and serious bodily injury. Those are all real costs. And at some point, this state has to get real about this crime rate. And, and, and we've got to figure out something that works. Um, God willing, uh, we will be on the right track. And God willing, uh, we make it a priority to fund and also to back the blue in this effort. Um, you know, and, and and that's just something that I believe we need to do. You know, when we look at House Bill 11 regarding the probation violations, I mean, the Department of Corrections stats show how probation violations have been cut in half. That's because we have people who are on probation that aren't being revoked for offenses. And when we say technical violations, you know, yesterday in the committee, they're acting like they're not crimes. No, no, no. We're talking about in technical violations. The people have to know. We're talking about absconding. We're talking about testing positive for drugs. We're talking about convictions for misdemeanors. Um, and, and so it's not okay to put somebody on probation and then let them continue to thumb their nose at the law and think somehow we are enhancing public safety or even helping that individual to not recidivate. Um, and with all of the JRI, despite what everyone says, no, we spent, that we being the state, spent $70 million on recidivism reduction. At best, it reduced it 3%. That is with the COVID years, and that is with the evisceration of probation revocations. So in my mind, simultaneously, crime increased, violent crime and homicide increased. Am I blaming JRI? I'm not blaming JRI, but what I'm telling you is JRI, for all intents and purposes, did not reduce recidivism. When you have 3% with their limited definition of recidivism and the courts were shut down with COVID and you had the probation revocations reduced by half because of all of the technical violation stuff. I'm sorry, we did not get the bang for our buck of $70 million. Well, you know where I stand on that issue. I never believe that, that any time we talk about reinvestment, I've not seen it really work in many nope. places with, nope. without, without an initial investment being made in a commitment to certain programs. And the big thing here in this state, and I think yep. you would agree, we we keep talking about a system. This is anything but a system. There's nothing systematic about what we're doing. And I really hope that in yeah, the sure. very near future that we start focusing on that, especially in the juvenile crime arena. And I know you know where I stand there. There's nothing systematic Absolutely. that's going on. And and unless no, and until we get there, it's not going to change. And I know you know you're preaching to the choir because that's one thing I'm very proud of. When I became the criminal justice director in Jefferson Parish, and really that's how 
our relationship was formed. Um, and, and I do believe we had a system in place where we were all talking, um, the mm-hmm. courts, the school system, the sheriff's office, um, and, and, and it, it's critically important in order to have success. And, and you can have reforms, but if you don't have the infrastructure in place on the front end, then those reforms are going to fail, or they certainly aren't going to be effective. And, and, you know, when you look at Texas, Texas had some infrastructure in place before their reforms, and I think they've closed like five prison facilities already um, because that's working. We don't have that infrastructure in place, and you're absolutely right. It has to be a system. Absolutely. I know you're busy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, Thank you, Neil, We really appreciate the time and the insight, and best of luck to you. We'll be right back, folks. That's Debbie Villio, Louisiana State Representative, uh, talking about some of the bills in the crime special session. We'll be right back. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.